Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, Paul Gray here. Thanks for joining me again. Today I want to talk about the mystery of giving. Has anybody asked you, I'm recording this sometime before some of you all will hear this, some of you will hear it a day later, but has anybody asked you, are you ready for Christmas? Several people have been asking me that the last couple of weeks. Well, what they're asking is, have you got your shopping done? Shopping for presents to give? Why do we give? Now, no condemnation here. These are just some things I've been asking myself this season. Do we give? Do I give? Because I think I have to. Because I think, well, somebody else is probably going to give me something. They did last year, so it's good manners to give them something. Do I give because it's expected of me or because it's tradition or because I want to? Something for me to think about when I go shopping. Am I buying something just to check it off my list or am I buying something to impress the other person? Do I even give any thought to what they want or what they like or or what they need? Do we have a mindset of, ah, I got to buy all these presents or what a joy it is to use the resources that God's given me to get presents and bless other people with? Do I keep track of the number of gifts I get from somebody? And if they don't give me as many as I give them, how how do I feel? I'm not saying this ever happens to you. I'm just telling you that, you know, maybe once a long time ago, those things happened to me. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, why does God give? Why do you think? God gives because God is love. And what lovers do is they give. (laughs) Lovers give. True lovers don't take, they give and receive love. And I just, I wonder often for myself and for all of us, do I even have a clue about how wonderful God's love is? You can't take love. You can't fake love. You can't force love. You can't earn love. You can't demand love. True, pure agape love doesn't expect or demand anything in return. It's totally one way. That's hard for a religious mindset to grasp. Let me say that again. True, pure agape love doesn't expect or demand anything in return. It's totally one way. You ever heard that in a church service before? The greatest commandment, Jesus said, Mark 12, 30, and 31, and in other places, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the church, I believe, religion, has been so out of focus on that because of the translation of the word commandment. When Jesus said that, somebody said, what's the greatest of all the commandments? We think command means a command that you have to love or else, like in the army. 
If a superior officer gives you a command, you better do that or you're going to get punished. Well, with God, with human relationships other than in the military or something like that, that's not love. That's a mafia strong arm tactic. Now, I've told you all before that the Greek word entole, E-N-T-O-L-E, which is many times translated, unfortunately, commandment, actually meant, when the writers wrote it, to set out for a definite point or goal. To set out for a definite point or goal. I live in Lawrence, Kansas. If I want to go to Kansas City, I start going east and I set out for a definite point or goal. My goal is to get to Kansas City. (laughs) I don't have a commandment that I have to go to Kansas City or I'm going to get punished. Now, for us to love God and love others, it's a goal, something we definitely set out to do because we want to do it, not because it's a commandment, not because we have to, not because God is measuring somehow how much we love him, not to fulfill a requirement. When you command somebody to love you, it just doesn't work. It can't work. There's no power in a command. It's the law. The law has no power. The only power of the law is sin. The power of sin is the law, actually. Loving God and others with all your heart means loving with your spirit, with the real you, which is one with God, one with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit of Christ in you. It's a divine act that happens by divine power in us. We love because he loves and because he's in us and one with us and he empowers us and because we're just like Jesus. First John four nineteen. we love because he first loved. Same chapter, verse 17. In this world, we are just like Jesus. We love just like Jesus. He loves as us. Now, from a human standpoint, we tend to wonder, how could God love us that way? I mean, how can he love us without expecting anything in return, without any demands, total one-way thing? I mean, that that's a mystery to us, humanly speaking. We tend to think, because we're like this, if God knew everything about me, If God knew my past and my thoughts and my attitudes and my motives, well, he could never love me. And then religion teaches us, well, he does know everything about us. He does keep a list of all those bad things. He actually can't stand to be around us. Our sins have separated us from him. And like Adam and Eve, we now have to work hard to try to make up for what we've done and try to get him to like us. And it wears us out, and it doesn't work. We've been talking about mysteries, mystics mysticism. Arguably, the most mystical of all things is the incarnation. God, who is one with us, became one of us. The great mystery is, to me, why would God do that? Why do you think God came to be one with us, limited to a human body in time and space? John 3, 16 and 17. This is how much God loved the world, the whole world, the cosmos, the original language. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now all believe in him and will never perish, will experience everlasting life. You may have heard that 
So now whosoever will believe in him, but that whosoever will is not in the original text. God loved the cosmos, everyone, everything, everybody. He gave Jesus as a gift. So now all believe him and will never perish and have everlasting life. All right. God's above time. We may not believe in him yet, but he knows that one day we will. All right. Verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. The Aramaic actually says, so that we will live by his hand of power. The mirror there says, the entire cosmos is the object of God's affection. And he's not about to abandon his creation. The gift of his son is for humanity to realize our origin in him, who mirrors our authentic birth, begotten not of flesh, but of the Father. In this persuasion, the life of the ages echoes within the individual and announces the days of regret and sense of lostness are over. God has no intention to condemn anyone. He sent his son not to be the judge but to be the savior of the world. I love the mirror translation. God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? God gave Jesus, <laughs> who is God, who is the exact representation of God, who is God in the flesh. God, who is love, gave himself to us. God's gift, sum it all up, God's gift is himself, in the form of Jesus Christ, Christ in us. God's gift is love personified in us forever, one with us, not going anywhere. God is love. God gives love. Unconditional, one way, selfless, self-giving, agape love. Love that, like Jesus, has no conditions, no demands, no expectations, actually submits to us, who lets us do the worst of the worst to him and still loves. Unbelievable, wondrous, awesome. Let's go back to a few hundred years before the first Christmas. Isaiah 9, 6, 7. Isaiah's prophesying here. A child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. The responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be the Wonderful One, the Extraordinary Strategist, the Mighty Counselor, the Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, the Prince of Peace. Great and vast is his dominion and authority. He will bring immeasurable peace and prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom to establish and uphold it by promoting justice and righteousness from this time forward and evermore. The marvelous passion that the Lord Yahweh, commander of the angel armies, has for his people will ensure that it is finished. Whoa, what a wonderful passage. In that passage, of course, we see the Trinity, the Son, Father, the Counselor, Holy Spirit. We see wonder and astonishment, amazing. You just wonder at how good God actually is. We're going to talk about that next time.
the descriptions are all about God's isness. Not what he does, but who he is. He is the wonderful one. He is the extraordinary strategist. He is the mighty counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the father of eternity. He is the prince of peace. And he is good. And he is in us. And he is for us. That's good news. Wonderful. He is wonderful. That's something that we human beings don't really have a file for. There's no formula for it. Something we wonder at. We're, we're just, we're amazed. It's marvelous. We, we just have to kind of step out of ourselves, out of our mind and experience and bask in it because we can't even describe it. Wonder. It's, we wonder. How could it possibly be? No eye has seen, ears haven't heard, hadn't yet entered the hearts of men until after Jesus finished work at the cross. My friend Malcolm Smith says, you have no idea of Jesus if all you know is stories about him, what he did, things like that. Until you know the wonder and the mystery of the Trinity, pure light, love, joy, and goodness, and grace, and peace in you, one with you, as you, you don't even begin knowing. You think you know, but you don't even know what you don't know. (laughs) The fear of the Lord word fear is incorrectly translated in English, is awesome wonder. It's to walk in a lifestyle of worship, which is love responding to love. God doesn't need us to bow down before him or to grovel or to sing his praises. He wants us to experience his unlimited, unconditional, never-ending love. I mean, what kind of a God would he be if he created us just so we would bow down and worship him and sing songs about how good he is? I mean, he's got everything. (laughs) He He doesn't need that. What he wants is us to enjoy how good he is. God doesn't want or expect or need gifts from us. His desire is simply that we intimately know him and experience him and know who he really is and what he's really like how good he really is. That's what God wants. And when we don't, we perish. We don't experience the full abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Jesus is not just a historical figure who was born in a manger. He's not a dead person from the past. He's not a statue or a picture up on the wall of the church. This is the mystery. Christ is in you alive and living and well and empowering you, the hope of glory. People are leaving dead religion by the thousands. And in part, in big part, it's because they're seeking something more than dead religion. They're seeking wonder and mystery and awe and something ultimate, something supreme, something jaw-dropping, something much bigger than we are that we can even imagine. See, we're not trying to get somewhere. We're there now. The mystery is God is way better than we can imagine. God is love that we can't even fathom. We can't understand it. We, we don't have anything to compare it with. We have no human standard, except for Jesus, of course. God is love that likes us, that enjoys us, that accepts us, that includes us, that graces us, not because of what we do, but because that's what he does. Wow. Religion tries to tame God and reduce the Trinity to something We can understand and control and use and manipulate. Religion says God 
has to do something because he's holy. He has to punish you because you broke his rules. But if you believe in Jesus, say the magic prayers, then his punishment of Jesus applies to you. God is good. God is love. Does pure love and pure goodness have to punish someone? Have to punish someone who's pure and innocent just to satisfy his whatever? That's just plain bogus. Mystery and wonder says, how do we experience this divine love of another kind? Wonder takes us to the edge of the comfort of control, and we just fall off into love. You can't multitask in wonder. I found I can't be balancing my checkbook and doing several other things at the same time and wonder about how good God is. It's a separate thing. Wonder requires full involvement. We've been talking about mystics, Steve McVeigh's 10 observations of mystics. We've been talking about those. Today is number eight. Mystics believe that we're a conduit, not a container, for divine life and power. We know we're not the source, but the source is in us and flows to others. We realize that we actually are Christ to other people in flesh. We're aware of and we experience Christ living as us. We realize Christ is a power source beyond ourselves, but living in us and as us. Jesus didn't come as a container. He came as a conduit. Who do you benefit if you're just a container? If you're a container of milk or Pepsi or macadamia nuts, whatever, if if you're just a container of something, we don't benefit anybody. If we're just a container of Jesus, we get the benefit of that, but we don't benefit anybody else. Now, who benefits the most if you're a conduit? A conduit constantly gives, pours out to others. What's in us that's full to overflowing just flows like a, we're a conduit of it and flows out to everybody. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Lovers give, not to get, but because we have pure love in us and we are love and it's overflowing. When and what do we give? Whatever Christ says. Christ is in us. Holy Spirit is in us. When we listen to him, we only say and do what he says. So what do we give? We give what he asks us to at any given time. What do we have available to give? Love, grace, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, the faith of Christ, forgiveness, acceptance, inclusion, Holy Spirit, power, compassion. (laughs) We are filled to the fullness of God. And we can give and 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 never have any less or be any less. And it's his Holy Spirit power in us, energizing us and empowering us, Christ living as us, as he is in this world, so are we. That is giving. Mother Teresa said, spread love wherever you go. Let no one come to you without leaving happier. Boy, that's great advice, isn't it? So again, some of you are hearing this some weeks or even months uh, after I've recorded this, but I'm recording it on Christmas Sunday here in the United States, the 20th of December. And as I just have been thinking about gifts, thinking about the gift that God has given me, himself, his very self, Jesus, who is love, 
who is grace personified. The gift lives in me, and the gift gives not only to me, but as me. I'm not just a container of Jesus living in me. I'm a conduit. And that's when, well, I won't use the word magic, although that was coming to my mind. That, that's when the supernatural happens, when Christ in us lives as us and gives everything he is to others as us. That's good news. Hey, thanks everybody for being with me. See you next time. Grow in grace. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.